Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shop Talk Show. We have an absolutely incredible guest today that I cannot wait to talk to. I bet you know him. I suspect we're going to be talking about some things like the current state of design tooling and perhaps many of the awesome projects that he has been involved with over a long and illustrious career in design. But first, I'd like to tell you about the sponsors that make Shop Talk Shows possible. One of them is Segment. That's Segment.com. Simplify your analytics, collect customer data with one API, and send it to hundreds of other tools. It's really cool. Pay attention later in the show, and I'll explain to you kind of how it works. I'm very glad I now know about it and what it does. Uh, And CodePen. Uh, we just released a really cool feature on CodePen for pro users, editable embeds, which you can take a pen, embed it on another site, but make it editable just like CodePen itself is. It's really, really cool. But for now... Mr. Dave, please kick things off. everybody you're listening to another episode of the shop talk show with dave rupert that's me and chris coyer that's right thanks everybody for tuning in we have a fantastic show for you we have mr coy vin hello coy hello hello coy we uh uh i'm gonna start with the title because i love it director of product design comma mobile at adobe (laughs) that's right i am working at adobe and i'm also mobile what does a comma mobile do uh, from <laughs> on a day-to-day basis? I work with a lot of the product teams here at Adobe who are building either um, sort of original mobile products or mobile counterparts to desktop or uh, or products in other platforms, and trying to unite the user experience across all of them and make them consistent and really elegant and friction-free for our, our customers. Yay. I think we're going to end up talking a whole bunch about, uh, probably about Adobe and, and 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 design tooling in general. At least I hope we do. So, uh, but but before that, maybe we, do you have a uh, a quick who you are, where you came from thing for us for those who us who aren't already Koi super fans. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. I'm a designer. I've um, been working in the digital space for two decades or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to work at NewYorkTimes.com where I ran the digital design team, product design team there, and you know worked on the web and launched first mobile apps and Kindle apps and did all kinds of, of fun work, putting the Times on different platforms. Um, then I left the Times and I did a startup called Mixel, for a few years that was just moderately successful. We ultimately sold that company and I've worked in a few startups since then. And then last August, I joined Adobe to work on um, the mobile products that they've been developing and trying to create a, a new generation of creativity software for professionals. Love it. I bet I bet a lot of us have have some of those apps on the phone. It's kind of a it's kind of a landscape of mobile apps too, isn't it? Because I was I was talking with somebody, it was uh, it was Brady Evans, I think, who is a designer on yep. on Photoshop and, and and she was like I, I think I said like, Oh, I got Photoshop on my phone. She's like, which one? And I was <laughs> like, uh I don't know, let me look. And I guess it was uh P 
PS Express. Right. But then I have like Adobe Shape, and then I went to open that one today just to you know be looking around at Adobe apps. And it's like this is now Adobe Capture, and then I have like Adobe Post, and there's a there's a number of them. But they do they do at least you know from a superficial glance look like look a have a similar look and feel to them. Is that some some success happening there? Yeah, I think there's there's a a lot of really great work that the team has done over the past few years creating consistent user experience. And the the look and feel of it is one important aspect. We're thinking a lot now about the um the sort of less tangible part of that where you're using a few apps in concert and getting your work from one app to the other and getting the apps to work together really smoothly or or you might be doing similar actions in a number of these apps and we want to make sure that um, the way that they work is consistent and makes a lot of sense and is really appropriate to the platforms that they're on. So um, there's, there's, there's a lot of little nooks and crannies that um, need to, to come along a bit further, um, but the foundation is there. Good, yeah. Fortunately, there's this creative cloud thing that really helps move some documents around. I don't know. Um, so, so yeah. So uh, the 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 website we have. If you're just joining us now, <laughs> uh, uh, subtraction.com is is Koi's site, which is since 2000, which is just a blog in the greatest way there can be a blog, and that it's it's it just feels like very you. It's like here's what I'm up to. Here's some things I'm working on. Here's an opinion. Here's a video I like. Here's a movie review. Just a blog in the in the classic sense. So yeah, it's just I really appreciate you characterizing it like that. It seems like blogging is kind of sort of a passe thing these days. You know, there, there was a time when everybody was blogging and now everybody's writing on Medium or Facebook or something. Um, and for some reason, I just keep keep doing it at, at my site. Um, but I really enjoy it and I'm really lucky to to have a place where, you know, at least a few people, you know, come check it out regularly and um, and give me good feedback. Yeah, so you've, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's been some waves over 16 years of doing that. I mean, I've been blogging for a while too, but not not quite that long. And and it's it just seems like maybe there's some lows where it's just like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, maybe now is a low. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a medium instead. And then I think <laughs> there's like some like jealousy starts building almost of like people <laughs> that are running successful blogs are like still doing well. It's still hanging on. It's still a good way to kind of run an online presence. And then it like comes back a little bit. Yeah, there's there definitely peaks and valleys sometimes i'm like god I, I could do this every day like forever and then sometimes i feel like oh my gosh like what am i gonna post today or <laughs> i haven't posted in two days and in, in some sense it, i feel like i've like spent a decade and a half building this really big elaborate shiny machine but now it's sitting in my living room and if i don't do something with it it's just sort of occupying this real estate that that you know it Otherwise, has has no business, you know, occupying. Right, so. you have expectations for your machine, and there's countless other people in the world who have different expectations for your machine. That's a, yeah, it's a hard place to, to be. But yep. I'm very glad that you keep doing it. Thank uh, you. It's great. There's some, you know, some other work that people might be familiar with. Koi I have the a book in my hand from a couple of years ago called Ordering Disorder: Grid Principles for Web Design. I remember when this came out, it was a it was a big deal, and it's all about, I guess, what you're expected about grids on the web, right? Right. I mean, that was 
sort of try to codify a lot of the, the thinking and the writing that I had done about bringing traditional graphic design principles to the web. And that book really came out towards the, the end of that first wave of, of web design, or one of the first waves of web design, and right before responsive design took over. Um, I think some, some of the principles still really apply, but um, I never got around to, to updating it for um, how responsive design has really changed up the game for how we think about what gets rendered in a web browser. Yeah. Do you find it sad sometimes when there's like a beautiful elaborate grid and then it hits one breakpoint and then it's just like <laughs> straight up column? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I get, I get sad. I mean, no, I know. <laughs> I love the you know, grid to begin with. Uh, cool. And so, and you can see that, I think, and even just like going to subtraction.com, you can see there's a, a clear grid at work. It's still, is it still kind of, you find yourself thinking in the, a grid like way still? Not so much anymore. I mean, you know, nowadays I work on mobile primarily, um, and you definitely need to think about a grid on mobile, but especially on the phone, like the space is so constrained already that, you know, the four corners of the screen inform a lot of what you're doing inside of it. And um, it's, it's, so having a, a grid to break up that space isn't quite as critical for me, anyway, as it used to be inside of a, a web browser. I just I like to call it the tube of content, and it's it's really hard to beat the tube of content. It, it, it's because mm. it's just kind of it's good for a lot of pixels, a lot of devices, and then then suddenly you go to desktop, and it's like, oh, I need more. Um, it's it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, and there's a corollary to that too, where you know, like it used to be before responsive design, and this is not a, not a, a knock against responsive design, but it was like before you had to design for so many breakpoints, people were, I think, a little bit more adventurous in how they would arrange elements on a page, lay them out. Um, and now you pretty much see you know, the same design over and over again in many, many websites. It's, it's like a, a single tube of content, so to speak, and everything is centered and, and there's a beautiful photo in the back. So to, to some extent, design is on the web has gotten less interesting to me anyway. It's become a well-defined medium. <laughs> <laughs> now that's something to be a little bit more sad about, but I, I, I understand exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Bring, bringing it back to blocks. Right, right. Here. Yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, recent, um, slightly more recent book last year, How They Got There, HowTheyGotThere.com, 14 amazing interviews with designers of all stripes, each one full of brilliant insights into how great careers are made in digital media. So that sounds like a just a fun side project thing that got legs somewhere. Yeah, that was a book that I had wanted to read for a long time because, you know, when I read profiles of designers that I admire, I, I, I had noticed like, the part that I, I always got the most from was when they were talking about their early days and how they got their first big breaks or how they overcame you know, their first, mm-hmm. first big mistakes or, um, or, or, or challenges. And I said, I'd love to read a book that's just all about how people just you know, put their careers together, how they, they managed to get the opportunities that they got. And I said, well, the first book I wrote was, it was so hard to write for me. It was just took a long time and a lot of, a lot of concentration and and a lot of writer's block. So I said, a book of interviews ought to be really easy, right? Like all I need to do is 
call him up on Skype and hit record and then send it to a translation, I mean, a transcription service and I should be done. And I quickly found that the transcripts that you get back are, if they're, tr if they're true to the conversation that actually took place, they're still not completely readable, you know, in print form. And, um, and so I worked with an editor to basically hammer each one of those transcripts into to good shape and, and make sure the, the intent of, you know, the interview subjects came through and everything sort of made, like, was consistent and hung together really well. So it was a side project that turned into a much bigger project that I anticipated. Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you, I know sometimes when you get people asked to, you know, for interviews, it ends up happening over email. Sometimes yeah. just answer these questions or answer them one at a time so that they have a chance to respond to a previous question. But yeah. then it's in a writing format. But, but do you think that might have lost some of the, the spirit of a voice conversation? Well, I would have been happy to have done it over email, but I, you know, some of these folks, I mean, they're, they're folks there who, who run their own studios or have co-founded huge businesses. I mean, some of them. You can't be like, can I have a week of your time? Exactly. Can I, you know, can, would you mind exchanging 30 or 40 emails over the next, you know, week or two? <laughs> like that's, that's kind of a hard proposition. <laughs> so, um, I basically was able to grab about 45 minutes to an hour of each person's time and, and record their video. And then, you know, that they're for, for them, they're in and out and it's, it's easy. Actually, I've, what I found was it was a pretty fun experience for them because they would sort of go over these old war stories that they hadn't thought about in years or hadn't talked about in years, and, and the time would fly really quickly. Um, and that, that's that's fine. I mean, that's great stuff, and it was a little bit of work for me to get it done, but I'm still very grateful to them for, for um, you know, sharing that time with me. Was it, I wonder if, you know, not to dwell on it too long, but was there, was there things that, I'm sure there's things unique to each story because everybody is different, but was there some, any kind of interesting connection between the stories? Do you find most of them, you know, pulled themselves up by their, by their bootstraps or, or, or were, were strong people or, do you, or was there more randomness? Well, there's, there's a certain undercurrent of luck for all of them. And um, for me, what was most interesting, it was maybe also what is maybe most obvious to people, but at the same time, it's hard to really grasp how true it is until, until you read it like over and over. It's, it's the idea that, you know, no, nobody's career is predetermined. Like you don't get out of college with like a, you know, with like a, a master plan of how to spend the next five, 10, 15, 20 years and execute against it perfectly and you Absolutely not yeah. in fact we get that question on shop talk show a lot or people are in that position they're like what, what do i do with my life right, like, right we we didn't know nobody knows right and a lot of the folks i interviewed like sort of happened into you know their their biggest opportunities just through you know knowing somebody who knew somebody or or you know blind luck or uh, just making a terrible mistake that led to a great mistake you know so it's a, there's there's a lot of that and like for me like this is the book that I wanted to I would have wanted to read when I was just starting out that that something that would really drive home the fact that um, it's okay to wing it and so um, um, I just just set out to to put it into words. Wonderful. So I wonder if we could jump into talking a little bit about this. It, right here in my show notes for myself for this episode, it says design tooling is hot, hot, hot. <laughs> it, uh, 
it, it very much is. I think it's. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it. Maybe it's. Maybe it's yet another thing that comes and goes in, in in waves or something. But certainly, Adobe is at the has been at the forefront of design tooling for a long, long time, and and still is. But we see more and more people using different kinds of things to get the design done that they need to get done, including, in some cases, not using any tools at all or thinking of the kind of the final product as a tool that is like designing in the browser or whatever, just, you know, just using their code editor as as a design tool. Yeah, well, I think, I I guess I'm curious to hear your perspective, Koi, just as you, you know, you... uh, I'll go ahead and say you invented putting grids on websites <laughs> and, um, and, and since then, well, <laughs> let's be, let's call a spade a spade, but we can, uh, we can debate that after, after the show, but the, uh, like how have you seen tools evolve and then what, what kind of, I don't know, what's, what's your kind of great discontent? What's your dissatisfaction? Like what, what, where can, tools grow more uh, in terms of building and designing websites and, and apps now and, and experiences, I guess we could call it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, if you look at the market for design tools today compared to where it was a decade, two decades ago, it's much, much richer and you know, frankly more interesting. There are a lot more players who are trying different things. There's a whole category of design tool now that didn't exist before, which is, you know, the prototyping tool that that is still in many ways up for grabs. People are really trying to figure out what's what's the best what's the best way to tackle this this new app. Right. So you're building something that's not a final website, but it's like I want to be productive really quickly so we can get like talking about this design. And I'm sure you mean things like Envision or even using like Keynote or something to draw right. some rectangles. Or to design, you know, more lower level, you know, what they call micro interactions, like the way like a button might flip over when you tap it, or the way a screen might transition to another screen, or you know, the animation or the the ambient movement uh, of elements yeah. in an interface. That's like what like you said up for grabs too a bit, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. So many of us think of Photoshop and Illustrator or whatever great tools they're still sitting in my dock right now and probably open them up every day but mm-hmm. aren't particularly well suited for that. How does this thing slide to the next thing? Yeah, I mean absolutely like the the web in its first, you know, 10 15 years was largely static. I mean, we're we're starting to get some some pretty robust animations there now, but um, in that first era designing in um, for lack of a better term static tools, tools that would produce sort of like a snapshot of what the interface looks like was great. It 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 was close enough to what the designer intended because it 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 mapped pretty close to what what the medium, the, the browser, could do. Yeah, in the past you know, nine years or so, as native apps have gotten more and more interesting and, and the hardware and software has gotten more robust, we now have a much greater range of possibility you know, for, for a designer's intent. They can, they can make a button do almost anything. And so we're, we're, we've all been looking for the tool that can sort of bridge... Um, that gap and give us the the power to to you know give form to whatever we can imagine while also balancing out ease of use and and you know giving you um, an, an interface that you know might be 
might be pretty close to what you see is to um, is what you get, or mm-hmm. or maybe you know maybe the right balance is more um, cl- closer to having to write some markup or some code or you know tweak some values you know actually edit in um, in a text editor or something. So there's there's a lot of different solutions out there that are trying that basically have really interesting hypotheses about what the right approach is and and as users. We don't yet have like the right answer, but I think we're really benefiting from this sort of like multiplicity of, of ideas that's out in the market. I think that's what I meant by hot, hot, hot. Because in and then and then me and Dave together before this, we're like, what's the kind of like we call this a live pool? Like, what are apps right now that people are like talking about in our? I don't know that are are, are new in the world. And and Sketch is at the top of that list, but it's kind of like. Uh, not, that one's not particularly new. Sketch has been around for a while, but it's still it's like super popular, and it seems to be like hitting some of the right notes of what people want, right? Like text that looks a little bit more like text on the web or whatever. It's like easier to line stuff up and draw rectangles and feel productive in it quickly. There's kind of the Adobe XD thing, which a lot of people are are talking about. Which is I'm not sure what your involvement with that one is, but it's feels similar in a way. It's like a prototyping tool that's like closer to screen design needs. Right, right. I mean, Adobe XD is um, uh, like a new product that's in preview right now, um, and you can actually download it for free from Adobe.com. Um, it's exactly as you say. It's for screen design, for for web design, and for apps, and it combines um, like a, a really, like truly lightning fast. Um, uh, layout module, for lack of a better term, that lets you put together a user interface in, in sort of really sort of delightfully um, responsive, responsive in, in, in the way that the interface actually um, responds to your intention um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> method and also sort of seamlessly transition over to um, basic prototyping where you can uh, put together a series of screens for for an app, and and then actually, um, you know, uh, let somebody else um, click through them and actually experience um, how you know the product that you're in, envisioning will will function. I see. So there's some there's some like team based stuff built into XD. Uh, not yet, but you can. Um, you can build something in, in XD, and um, and by launch, you'll be able to to look at it on your phone really easily, or in, in a browser, mm. and and then share it with folks, with other folks on your team. So all of that's coming. It's it's all in progress right now. That seems like a yet another thing. Is you know like maybe there's some disconnect between how does the site look here, and you know there's there's different kinds of disconnects with design tools, and one of them is like I need to work on this design with other people. Yeah. And so, and so, the, you know, it's kind of no surprise that certain team building tools have 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 shot up there, and because it, it can't be like, let, let's say we all agree that Photoshop is the best tool for us. Well, what do we, you know, do we settle on a naming convention? Do we just throw PSDs in Dropbox or something? Maybe that's the that's the moment at which it's failing us, right? And especially with with um native apps and and you know the the current new generation of web-based apps there's so much that is hard to describe in words and you really need to to iterate on it with the people on your team um in prototyping mode to arrive at like the best solution um and and so tools that are sort of 
just for like single user don't quite satisfy those needs. There's, you know, in our in our live pool, there's there's one called Figma, which has like mm-hmm. pr- is promising some um, like design at the same time, like multiple right. cursors <laughs> kind of stuff, which is pretty wild and version control and stuff. So yeah. maybe those are the particular, like I think you called it a hypothesis or something of mm-hmm. of what 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 is necessary for a team to, to yeah. be productive with design. I mean- these are There's all amazing products. Yeah. What's that? And these are all amazing products. I mean, if you look at what Figma is doing, like te- technically at least, like they've built a, a really rich, um, you know, vector design tool right inside of a browser. And, and I, I've heard a lot of people say, "Oh, that's that would never work. Like you can't do that kind of stuff in a browser." And then they try Figma, and they're really, really impressed. So there's tons of interesting stuff going on in the market right now. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't actually tried that one, but it looks it looks pretty nice. Um, Framer has a totally different hypothesis, where it's that's the one where you mentioned maybe you should be mm-hmm. able to write little code to describe interactions. I think that's the one that is like that. It's like you write like this weird like coffee script language to say this is the data that goes in here and this is how I want it to move and stuff. So that that one is really blowing my mind. With uh, it crossed my mind that like how many how many hoops do you want to jump through to prototype an interaction? Like, I think that's, isn't that like the moment at which people, the designers started to, to not revolt, but be like, I'm going to design the browser because I want to, when I'm done, I want it to be like usable. I want it to be the thing that I'm trying to build. So like, you know, if you, if we make it too many hoops to jump through just to prototype the thing and then be like, it's done, hand off. And then somebody's got to reinterpret what you've done in something else, which is like, ugh. So I, I think that's really smart comment. And I think looking a bit further ahead, I think what we're seeing right now is maybe like this first stage of these hypotheses and, and, and lots of different um, experiments or, or lots of different sort of novel ways of doing things. A little bit further down the road, I think what we might start to see is that these tools become more interoperable. Um, much in the way, you know, in like the, the game design world, you can use a lot of different tools, um, but still use the same same basic model um, uh, between them. We don't have that right now in prototyping or UX design. I'd I'd like to think that's that's coming, so that you know, designers have the, the greatest flexibility in the tools that they can choose to work with. And then there's also the idea of maybe standardizing on um, the sort of the the vocabulary that these tools use, so that when you call, you know, like a, like a blur or a fade or, or something in your UI in a prototyping tool, it will you know fully cascade all the way through to the the developer stack, and so the developers know exactly what you mean because we're all sharing the same vocabulary. That's where I'd like yeah. to see this stuff go. Um, a and- PDF, really portable design format. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great acronym. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so many. Too. I mean, you know, have you seen Lingo, which is just like a little piece of a design workflow? It's like this is where we we expect you to store like your assets across a team. So they're just trying to solve this like tiny little piece. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great that's a great. Uh, uh, tool that they've, they've been building over at the Noun Project, and I'm, I'm huge fans of what they're doing. Um, you know, we, we're working on similar stuff at Adobe. Um, there's something that, um, 
there's a feature that's part of Creative Cloud um, called Libraries that lets you store assets um, in. Uh, these libraries are stored in the cloud, and anytime you open a Creative Cloud connected app, like Illustrator or InDesign on the desktop or um, Comp CC on on mobile, you get access to the exact same library. And it, it we've seen some of our customers make really robust use of this and, and really um, speed up their workflows in significant ways. So all, all, all those tools that sort of help glue together workflows, I think, are just as interesting as the, the prototyping stuff uh, um, in terms of yeah. what's happening out there. Yeah, that's what I was, you know, I, was, I don't know, driving at, I guess. I, I think that's that's fascinating when you have this Umbrella, really, the creative cloud, what you what you can do in there, and I think there's even possibly some education that that has to happen too. I, I remember the first time I figured out that, like, oh, what I can just like browse this entire library of fonts, like yeah. that type kit or whatever, and just be like, click to sync. Oh, now I have it available in all my desktop apps or at least my Adobe desktop apps. That's like crazy, and that's that is the glue that that ties together. Uh, what could be a weird flow? I think you really hit the nail on the head for for what we're trying to do. I mean, I, you know, Adobe before I even got here had really pulled off like this amazing transition from selling box software to selling um, Creative Cloud subscriptions, um, and um, that's been great for the business. But I think like the vision going forward is to get people to realize that Creative Cloud is not just a way to rent Photoshop and Illustrator. It's also you know, it gives you access to Typekit. It gives you access to all these mobile apps. It gives you access to um, this whole catalog of software. And we have stock photography, right? But but we're also really trying to build in uh, value into the subscription itself, so that um, things like um, our you know Creative Cloud libraries and um, and templates and other things that we're working on, they really power. Like workflows for creative professionals and help tie apps together and, and basically make you know, a designer, a creative professional's life a lot easier. Um, and that's where we're trying to get to, is Creative Cloud as a, as a really robust platform for, for pros. This episode of Shop Talk Show is sponsored in part by Segment. That's segment.com or pop over to those show notes and click the link from there. Simplify your analytics uh, is part of their tagline. But let me just set the stage so you can understand it because I think this is really cool and I'm, I'm glad I know about this now. Is that it's like imagine, you know, at the bottom of the HTML document of your web app, you got Google Analytics down there. You Maybe you're doing some A-B testing, so you have Optimizely down there. You're using Heap or Customer.io or Facebook conversions or something. Every There's like lots of things to like track analytics and track kind of what's going on in your web app. And you use different ones for different reasons. And that's great. And that's awesome. And everybody's happy. But when that happens, imagine, first of all, it's a lot of third-party JavaScript. And it's a lot of like Ajax outgoing requests reporting this thing to everywhere. That's where segment comes in. Instead of having all that down there, you just put the segment JavaScript snippet down there and send your information to segment. And then from the segment interface, you send it to all those other services. You send it to Google Analytics. You, there's a, a conversion, so you report it to your Facebook conversions and to Optimizely. And you, you know, you're know using Intercom for customer communication, so that you do something and track something there, or Mixpanel, or Kiss Metrics. There's 160 of these incredibly good tools that segment 
integrates with so you can uh, uh, deal with it. You know, marketing automation, CRM, analytics, AB stuff, security stuff, all this kind of stuff. You can all manage it all through Segment. So it's not like going into your code and making changes there. You're already reporting stuff to Segment. You manage it all through Segment. So 7,000 companies use it. Trunk Club, Atlassian, New Relic, uh, Envision, Intuit, Crate and Barrel. Uh, all kinds of stuff. And then it because it has all your uh, uh, data, all this kind of interesting uh, data that it's collecting, it's kind of the, this like queryable data warehouse too. So make sure you hop over to segment.com and check out how all that stuff works. It is very, very cool. It was a funny, I was at a, uh... I was at a conference that Brady Evans was at, and so I don't think I'm breaking any uh, any private conversations or anything. Because on stage, she was like, "How many of you pirated Photoshop as a <laughs> as a kid?" You know, and and it was like I don't know, half the room or something. You know, that right. used to be just like a Sunday afternoon for you. Yeah. And in in a, in a weird way, you know, like that's not, you know, pirating is never like a great thing, but like the kind of the result of it was that there's so many of us of a certain age group in the world of design who became entrenched in, or not entrenched, but you know, we're comfortable with, liked, we're productive with the Adobe suite because of the fact that we, we've been using it for so many years. And it's like now that it's like kind of unpiratable or unaccessible to that age group, uh, maybe that's maybe that's dangerous. Maybe the, like the next you know the next round of kids that grow up won't be haven't been using it because it's so harder to access. Or do you think maybe mobile is the some of the answers to that? Well, I mean the way I look at Creative Cloud, I mean it's from a different perspective. Obviously, I mean I think um, in the old box software model, you really had to lay down a huge you know um, sort of down payment, so to speak, or, 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 or upfront payment um, in order to get access to the software. Um, the fact that people could pirate it, like, I don't, I don't know if that's, if that's something that we, you know, would ever <laughs> seriously sort of, like, incorporate into, like, our, a business model. Um, no. But, you know, with subscriptions, you actually, you do actually have flavors of Creative Cloud that are available for, you know, a pretty reasonable monthly fee. And, that lets folks, um, you know, uh, dip their toes, so to speak, and and um, and you know, get comfortable with these tools at a pretty reasonable rate. So I know there's there's a lot of a lot of um, folks who object to the subscription model, but on the whole, I think it benefits more people than the, than it shortchanges, um, just because you know the 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 upfront cost is now dramatically lowered. Um, and lets people get value at the level that they want. If they only need it for you know um, uh, a month or two at the time, that's great. Um, and then folks who are paying month to month, you know, we're Adobe is now incentivized to keep making the subscription uh, valuable to them through workflows, through better software, through through lots of different experimentation. It's a good point, right? The incentives do line up. They are there. Your your job is to make this thing. Have less churn through it being awesome, right? And in some ways, now it it allows us to to build new tools like Adobe XD, which you know, in years past, we might have ha- had to think of ways to to put that inside Photoshop or Illustrator. But now, you know, it's going to be part of Creative Cloud. So, you know, we can say just so, so long as people are paying for Creative Cloud, that's what's important. So we can build this tool that's really purpose built and elegant and 
and um, it really starts from scratch. It doesn't have to sort of um, pay any um, legacy tax um, in terms of you know reusing old code bases or file formats or stuff like that. So that's that's part of the innovation that's possible with the the, the, the Creative Cloud model. Yeah, the cost concern that was that is a big deal too. Because I don't think there was ever. I mean, maybe there was some kind of obscure thing, but I don't think there was like payment plans for for it. You know, it's not like right. buying a car where nobody you know has fifteen thousand dollars laying around, but could but easily can walk into any dealership and they'll help them get the loan that they need. Right. Whereas Photoshop in the past, you know, or whatnot, the whole suite was could be thousands of dollars, and there was no help. It was kind of like save your pennies kind of thing. Uh, there's so much to talk about here. We we made another little section of our our notes that we we entitled wrenches with an exclamation point of <laughs> being like things that are that kind of throw off what a design tool or that might just like cause complication for it. And the first one on that list is animation. Is well, let's say I've built this great design tool. Maybe you've built the next sketch or whatever or XD or something, and then you're like, it does great at what it does, but it just doesn't even touch the topic of, of animation. Is it still valuable? Should it? Should they be figuring out and thinking about animation? Or like, I don't know, like that's just a hard... Well, I mean, it's hard to say anything definitively, but it is true that in a few years, to, you know, to, when you've got a... Uh, if you're designing an app and you've got it to the point where you know where the search bar lives and the toolbar lives and what happens in between and everything, where everything lays in between, that's only still like the be- will only still be the beginning of the design process because you're going to need to figure out how everything moves and behaves inside of it. Mm-hmm. So it's only going to become a more and more pressing requirement for the design process going forward. Um, so maybe there's an end-to-end tool that will do that, and we, we'd like to think that XD is laying the foundation for that. Um, right now, you can do the static layout, you can link the screens together. In the future, you'll be able to to design some of those micro interactions and and um, and um, uh, sort of define some of the the motion and animation that you're talking about. Um, or maybe it'll it'll still continue to be like a series of tools. Maybe you'll bring in. Um, a tool that's like After Effects to to uh, just define that aspect of it and maybe do your your static layout in another app. So um, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of possibilities going forward. There is. I, I like that thought that that you know design is this long process and some of these tools help you at the beginning of it or the middle or something. But but I guess kind of few tools are from front to back the whole process of design. Right. At some point, you'll leave the tool behind. One of the wrenches is that another. I was just at a conference recently uh, that was all about um, style guides. Essentially, mm-hmm. right. Those are kind of white hot right now. They're kind of like you know, if you're if you're just any given company and you publish your style guide, you're guaranteed to get like some swooning over you know. Yeah. Oh my God, they're doing it too. That's so great. Yeah. You know, which I you know I'm on board with. I think it's it you know helps inform. Yeah, you know, helps you know. What does all the good things that style guides do? Bring design consistency to a site, and and it's so it's so easy and obvious for us to poke fun at sites that don't have that. You know, mm-hmm. oh, that site has fifty different button styles. Ha right. ha ha! They're doing it wrong. And so a lot of people, in order to fight that, are going the style guide route. It's making people more productive, all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's your desire: is output from these design tools is a is a style guide uh, of sorts. You know, like that's your that's your goal. How can a design tool help you build one? Well, certainly, 
I mean, whether you call it a style guide or not, I think in the future, when you design, like the, the deliverable, so to speak, is going to be less and less likely just a, a mock-up and more and more likely um, some combination of a mock-up or a prototype and a set of rules, um, which is essentially like a style guide, right? So you're, you're basically going to be uh, describing the behavior of your solution um, rather than just sort of showing one state of it. So That was kind of a Dave Rupert concept. I can't tell you how many times it was brought up, Dave, at the conference, the... Uh, it's just this the concept of mini bootstraps, which is a little Dave's public. So, like for each, you know, the the deliverable for a design project is not just a page, but it's also a system. There was a 2010 Jason Santa Maria article called "A Real Web Design Application." So mm-hmm. six years ago now, and it was <laughs> and it was him just saying these are the these are the two. This is my current toolbox, and it's basically browsers and every single Adobe product. <laughs> and then it's a, and then it has a wish list, and it and the wish list is full of things like I wish there could be states of pages, like I click a button and the page changes state in some way yeah. and i wish it handled grids better i wish i wish there was more css esque type styling mm-hmm. he says which is great and it seems like if you go through this checklist now some of these things are 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 checked off you know he mentions like having better font abilities and stuff and if you went through this whole list now check most of them off probably but still there isn't like a you know, canonical web design tool? Well, I think we're getting there. I mean, I don't know if we're going to settle on, like, one clear winner. I mean, if we are, I hope it's, it's you know, for the company that I work for. But <laughs> yeah. um, I do think that a lot of those ideas, I, I don't remember that post in great detail. I do remember that he wrote it, and, and he's such a such a brilliant guy that I'm, I'm sure if I go back and read it, I'll, I'll find what you find, in that, like, there's so many things that are coming true. Um, but, I mean, I would love to see a situation where most of those kinds of wish lists from five or six years ago are handled by a number of different apps and, and contenders in the marketplace. And I'd, I'd love to see you know, maximum of choice for consumers. I think that's, that's what's going to keep it interesting for everybody and, and you know, drive us to do our best work at Adobe is, is really healthy competition. There's almost less choice now. There's starting to be more choice, and it's feeling not weird, but kind of interesting. Like, wow, we have like choices now to do design work. How interesting. And, and in other aspects of building websites, it's, it's like it's already way past that. You know, if you're choosing like what CSS framework you have to use, there's hundreds of choices. If you're choosing what backend framework to use, there's hundreds of choices. And it's kind of borne out that that's not that big of a problem, really. It's just choices. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'd be cu- I'd be curious to hear, Koi, what if don't know how much like day to day design work you do, but when you kind of crack open a new project or help try to fix something or, or align something what's kind of your process what tools do you go for and how do you I, I guess how do you hand that off to development what's like like i want to hear the pro the pro pro way to, yeah, to do how it. the pros do it <laughs> um so i actually still spend a lot of time sketching on, on with pen and paper um we've got an app that i worked on at here at Adobe called CompCC that um, runs on phone, also runs really great on iPad that helps you sort of um, like give form to a layout idea really quickly. And I'll use that a lot. 
Um, that's a great app because it actually lets you push that work from iOS or Android to um, um, to the desktop and pick up tools there. Um, I um, yeah, make no secret that I use Sketch a lot. I'm using XD more and more because it's, it sort of covers the same territory. I'm really excited about where it's going. So I'll spend a lot of time in um, one of those apps fleshing out lots of different um, aspects of the design. And, um, um, you know, I don't do as much prototyping as I was I would like just given the, the time that's available to me but um, you know using those tools or using stuff like um, Envision or Marvel to string that stuff together can be really useful um, and um, I'll use a combination of you know static mockups and and those prototypes um, to share with the developer um, along with a, like a lot of notes um, so you know, there's Marvel. A, this one's interesting. This is new to me. Yeah, the, they're they're also a really great team out of, out of London. They're doing interesting stuff. Wow, they have yeah. a watch app. <laughs> yeah, wow. I haven't used that. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my questions. Kind of that came. I I bought one of the new the iPhone SE because I I kind of missed having a a hand size phone and I was excited about it. But uh, it's it is man. When I switched back, it was like. This is tiny, <laughs> like uh, almost immediately because I had the six plus, and I was like, "This thing is too big," and I didn't quite like it. But you did kind of get used to the the screen size available to you, and it's so much squishier on the iPhone SE. But it dro- it drove home to me that like I really don't expect to be productive on this thing, especially in the in like a design sense or a coding sense. Like I, I don't I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's an antiquated feeling to have because I know that's like the unpopular opinion is that yeah, you people will be productive on whatever you give them kind of thing. And I'm like, mm, do you try, is there a is there a world that I could design a a desktop app on my iPhone SE or is there like limits to what we can do? And- so I think the way we're we're thinking about it and our thinking is is always evolving because the space is always evolving. Um I think where we're headed is that these, like design is a process that's going to touch many different surfaces. It's going to be on desktop, obviously, on um, on maybe like an iPad Pro or a Microsoft Surface tablet, or you know, it might it might show up at at some point on your phone or you know whatever other device you have. Um, not sure about a watch, maybe maybe on a watch, um, <laughs> but. Um, I, I think the the thing to keep in mind is that more and more the the point of origin for the design is not necessarily going to be the desktop. It might be a tablet, or it might be like an idea that that you know just sort of germinates like on the phone. And so we want to build software that lets you be sort of appropriately productive um, on each of these devices. So you might turn to the phone. Um, just for you know, a, a specific narrow set of things that you want to get done. Maybe it's commenting, or maybe it's making you know little changes, or maybe it's roughing things out. But the work that you do there should be transferable to all the other surfaces that you're working on, and you should be able to pick up from there there easily. And it should be the same file. It shouldn't be you know like a duplicate file. Now you've got you know multiple versions. You have to you have to wrangle. It should be fairly seamless and elegant, and um, 
you know, we have a ways to, to, to go before we get there, but I think that's the way people are going to want to work in the future. And I, I really believe that, you know, within the next, let's say, five years or so, when you get a design problem to solve, you will, you know, you will think, okay, maybe I'll just take my iPad with me this time instead of your laptop. Or maybe, maybe because of, you know, the, the nature of, you know, the next few hours, how I'll be spending the next few hours, I'll just do, it on, do what I need on my phone and get started. Like, these will all be sort of legit starting points for your solution. There's already some proof of that in that, it, I mean, we're talking about design and design workflows and tools, but it's really, it could be anything, right? I think there's lots of evidence that people like look up movie times on their yep. phone and then for whatever reason end up buying the tickets on their desktop right. or whatever. Right, exactly. I didn't know about Adobe Comp and I'm looking at it now and it seems like suited to this kind of workflow. Just you can sketch like with your finger a site mm-hmm. or, or an app or whatever and then hand it off to your your big boy desktop app if yeah. necessary yeah. later. I mean, Adobe Comp is one of those apps that sort of is, um, I sort of made up this term just a moment ago, that's sort of appropriately productive. Like you can do a lot of work on that iPad. Um, and actually people sometimes go start to finish there. And I think that's that's great. If you are the kind of person who really wants to return to the desktop and you know, have, have all the power and, and, and sort of precision of, uh, of desktop apps, it's just sort of this one touch um, uh, process of, of just literally just sending your work from comp to Illustrator, Photoshop, or InDesign. That app opens up immediately, and that file opens up, and you're ready to go. It's like it takes, takes I don't know, it might take like 15, 20 seconds or something uh, at most. It's pretty, pretty seamless. Um, um, but it's also, it was a great opportunity for us to think about, sort of rethink a lot of the, the way, like, creativity happens. Like, it Comp has a sort of under under notice feature where it will save every layout decision that you make inside the app. So if you you know make type bigger or smaller or move a photo from the left side or the right side or change color, it saves all of that. And if you use three fingers to swipe from right to left, um, you can actually roll back in time and, and stop at any of those permutations and either save them out or or just start branching them. Um, so sort of. So no more homepage left sidebar final final homepage right sidebar final. Right, yeah. So the, all the versioning is taken care of for you passively, so you don't have to you know save out like your favorite your favorite instances of of your work and remember it. So that's pretty exciting. It seems just in general a, a pretty exciting time for design tools. Like I, I, going back to what you said, it, it's almost like people are building hypotheses and just saying what's 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 something with this hypothesis look like and i i think that's a very cool way to explain what's happening in like design tooling but also just kind of uh, even just like creating your own and I think you can have multiple hypotheses yeah. too like i find all this fascinating but i work on a tool which allows people to write html css and javascript in the browser with like no help at all so I'm kind of my, you know, it's, but I don't think of CodePen as like this, a des, it's, I guess it's a design tool, but it's just, you know, it's a part of the chain. It's just one of one tool and right. lots of tools is a good, 
Yeah, I really like that that the word you made up there, appropriately productive. You know, like what what tool can I pick up in which that I'm productive in for the moment? There's that should that's a good blog post idea. You should should roll with that. <laughs> I feel like I, there's so many syllables there. I feel like if I can just put it together, like appropriate or something like that, then I can oh uh, squish it. Tr- yeah, like trademark it. Now you're getting a book apart. <laughs> yeah. now right? Found a gold mine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we, as our last question is, is, is no longer relevant because we, we wanted to kind of hopefully talk about what the future of design tools is, but I think we spent the entire show talking about what the, what the future of design tools is in a sense. Uh, some of those conversations we had about, you know, five years from now, we'll be, I don't know, reaching for tools that help with some small part of it or more, more end to end. You suspect there'll be a more like, like end to end workflows that settle in i i think i mean this is this is a tough question for me because i i know that that's what adobe would want (laughs) like adobe wants to own it um and i think we're working hard to to make a really sort of credible um and and attractive and, and best of class um, suite of apps and, and system that will present that to people. Um, I also think, though, that you know that that designers are really curious by nature and um, like to use lots of different tools. Like they like to use a tool from you know Adobe along with a tool from an indie developer along with you know like with CodePen or with you know other stuff that you know, like. Um, you know, that a company like Adobe isn't necessarily going to, like, um, cover. So, um, if you put me on a spot, I, I would say that there's going to be, there's always going to be some combination of, like, a, like a, a big main workflow off of which lots of tools are going to, to hang off or, or hook into. Oh, right. Like, this is the, I don't know, the, the, uh, I'm, I'm picturing like stock art of like vector beams fly. You know, some of them are bzzzed off to the sides a little bit, but most people are on this wide path, and but there's like slight variations to it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That was awful. I'll post the stock photography later. Search for that it cover it. art. We got cover art. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. The, well, the hero image. Koi. Koi, I think uh, we should probably wrap up here. I know uh, you got to get back to making the future of design tools, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Adobe, for giving time. But uh, before you go, how can people follow you if they're not following you, and how can they give you money? How does that work? Sure. Um, You can read my almost daily postings at subtraction.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at Koi. Um, and if you're interested in my book, How They Got There, it's at howtheygotthere.com, all one word. Great. I'm, that's a lot of, got a lot of friends in that book and I want to read it. So, um, all right. Well, thanks so much. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show. Uh, and yeah, we tweet tens of things a month. So it's really not a, a big problem. So, um, so do that. Uh, retweet. That's again, that's like be the street team, uh, you want to see in the world. And <laughs> if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash job. 
jobs and get a brand new one. There's a lot of companies out there that want to hire people with your skills. And Chris, do you have anything else? Adobe's like been on there many times. Uh, shoptalkshow.com. <laughs> 